this. And I, you know, I was just sitting here praying this morning. I felt like the Lord, I was trying to debate whether the Lord was giving me a word or, 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 or not, but I'm pretty convinced that it is, and it may have just been for me, but I didn't necessarily feel like I needed to share it just then. But uh, you know, one of the things that the Lord was placing on my heart is Jeremiah 29, 13. And what that verse says is, you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You know, there's a lot of times what happens is we miss out on God's best for our life. And even the things that God has in store for us because we become half-hearted or we grow weary uh, while we're running the race. And, and I feel like that, you know, it's very easy for this to happen, but uh, I feel like a lot of us that are here this morning, even those that, that are not here, we have been burdened down and weighted down and distracted. And, you know, Jesus talked about uh, not letting the, the cares of this life and the, the riches of this world and, and, and the things that, that just kind of steal and, and try to choke out our heart, the word from getting in our heart, he said, be careful how you live. Be careful how you live. Now listen, God is calling us to greater things. He's calling us to deeper levels and, and more powerful, personal, and corporate encounters. But those things will not be experienced. We will not experience those things if there's not a wholehearted, passionate pursuit uh, going after Jesus. Now, that's another reason why we do the prayer and fasting. That's another reason why we do the worship nights. Because here's the thing. Here's what I know. It's very easy. If our love for God is not put to the test on a regular basis, it is very easy for our love for God to grow weak and dull just living life every day. And I just want to uh, uh, you know, challenge you with those words. You know, check your heart. See if your passion and desire for Jesus is what it needs to be, is what it should be, and it is greater than it's ever been. If not, you know, we're entering into this new year. Let 2019 be uh, the, the best year of your life in, in terms of growing in your relationship with God. There's a lot of things that we set for, for goals as we enter into the new year. We want to lose X amount of pounds and, and by the way, pray for me. I've gained six pounds from Reese Cups. You know those Reese Cup trees? I'm trying to be spiritual, but I'm thinking about those. Those things there, they're about to kill me. I've ate about a 1,000 of them in the last month. So pray for a brother. I walked into the store where I normally get these, and they've got the Reese Cup trees out. And guess what they got? They got the, the Reese Cup eggs now. I said, I rebuke you, and you get behind me, Satan, and but anyways, we, we set goals like losing weight or paying off debt. and Listen, all those things are good, but let this be a year. And when I say a year, let from January 1st to December the 31st be the most passionately pursuit of, passionate pursuit of God that you have ever go after God uh, with everything in you because, listen, being radical is not getting excited on January the 1st and entering into the new year. Being radical is sustained passion day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. And it is rare to find somebody that is as on fire now as they were five years ago.
And the reason that happens is we allow things to choke out our passion and love for God. And listen, in the days that are, that are going to lie ahead, there's going to be a great shaking. I mean, I think what you see happening in our nation, what you see happening in, in, in the political systems, uh, we, I believe that is a prophetic parallel of what's about to happen in the spirit realm. There is going to be a tremendous shaking. There's going to be... Uh, 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 something that takes place that is going to require you to be able to stand and to stand for truth in this hour. And it's scriptural as well. Hebrews 12 says that, that soon he will shake the heavens and the earth, the seas and the dry lands, and everything that can be shaken will be shaken so that the only thing that remains will be his kingdom. But we have been called to inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And so only a fearless, fierce love for God will help us go through that season of life when everything is shaking. Because that day's coming is coming very soon. So I want to encourage you. You know, let, let Jeremiah 29, 13 be your theme scripture this year. Ask yourself on a daily basis, Am I searching and seeking for God with all of my heart? I mean, the promise that we've been given in that verse is incredible if you think about it. He said, if you will seek me and search for me with all of your heart, you'll find me. And let me tell you something. When you found Jesus, you found something that money can't buy. You found something that, that the riches of this world cannot give you. You, you've, you've, you've found something that's far greater than anything temporal that we experience here on earth. When you find Jesus, you will, you will find something or you will find someone that will completely, totally satisfy you, but he will also make you bold and brave and will use you in a great way. Anyways, those are just some things that was on my heart. I'm going to get to the Word. Uh, turn over to Matthew chapter number 5. Matthew chapter number 5, we're going to talk about uh, part 3, uh, blessed, blessed are the meek. Now, we've talked about the, the, the first two Beatitudes. Uh, we're going to look at the third one here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And then hold your place there and then flip over to Genesis chapter 39. And we're going to read a few verses there. Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 5 says, Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now turn over to Genesis chapter number 39. Now what we've done is, we, we've been going through these Beatitudes, and then we've been using the life of Joseph to illustrate how we are to walk out and live out the Beatitudes. Now, we, we've not really even got to the most hardcore ones up to this point, like, you know, Love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Uh, you know, if, if somebody uh, uh, treats you wrong, pray for them if they, if they use you. Listen, you know, that stuff all sounds pretty good and it preaches well, but it's totally different when you have to live that out. It's kind of like forgiveness. Forgiveness is a pretty good idea until you're the one that has to do the forgiving. You understand what I'm saying? But this is the lifestyle God has called us to. And, and when we walk in that, and it's very possible for us to walk in that, otherwise it wouldn't be in the Bible. It sets us apart 
from the rest of the world. And that's what God has called us to do and called us to be a, a, a beacon of light. Now, Genesis chapter 39, we're going to start reading at verse number 1. Uh, in chapter 39, what's happened in Joseph's life, uh, God has given Joseph a dream. This dream has become the defining purpose for Joseph's life. And Joseph didn't fully understand this dream, but he knew the dream was from God, and he knew that God was going to use his life in a very special way. But what uh, Joseph failed to realize is that uh, God gave him this dream, but, and it was an extraordinary dream, but with an extraordinary dream comes an extraordinary preparation. You know, when God wants to do something incredible in our life, he takes his time in preparing us to walk in that destiny. So when we get a dream, and by the time we see the fulfillment of that dream, there's a process that we have to go through. And if God told us what we would have to go through in order to see the fulfillment of that dream, we would probably turn God down. Because how many of you think Joseph would have still said yes to God if, if God came to Joseph and said, Joseph, now, I'm really going to use your life in an incredible way. But before that happens, what's going to what's take place in your life is your, your family's going to betray you. They're going to throw you into a pit. They're going to sell you into slavery. And then you're going to go into uh, the house of slavery, and you're going to have a master, and you're going to be his slave. And what's going to happen there is he's not going to treat you as good as your dad treated you. As a matter of fact, he's going to treat you far worse. You're going to be treated like an animal. Then your master's wife is going to try to seduce you, and you're going to do the right thing. And as a result of doing the right thing, you're going to be falsely accused of rape, and then you're going to be thrown into prison. And while you're thrown into prison, uh, I'm going to give a couple of guys a dream, and I've given you this gift of interpreting dreams, and you're going to interpret this dream, and they're going to promise you that, that they'll tell Pharaoh, and, and, and you're going to expect to be let out of prison, but in reality, they're going to tell Pharaoh, you're going to interpret these dreams, and, and God's going to use, I'm going to use you in, in the prison while, while you're there, but you're going to be forgotten in that prison. As a matter of fact, you're going to go farther and deeper and darker into that prison, and you're going to be forgotten about for a few more years, but after about 13 years, you know, I'm going to bring you to that place where you see that dream fulfilled. How many think Joseph would say, sign me up? But yet, that's, what, that's what's happened. And, and, and here's the thing. You know, when the, the time that, between the time that God gives us a promise and then the fulfillment of that promise, there's typically a season where the exact opposite of what God has promised happens. The problem is, if we're not continually pursuing God, learning the lessons in the wilderness, making changes, keeping our hearts right, dealing with our character flaws. If we're not constantly developing and becoming more and more like Jesus, we will end up like the majority of the children of Israel, and that is they died in the desert. You know, God brought them out of Egypt, and he had called them to the promised land. But the problem was the pathway to the wilderness, or to the promised land, always leads through the wilderness. So there's always going to be a season where you will experience the wilderness in your life, but the wilderness was only supposed to be an 11-day journey. But they were able to turn an 11-day journey into a 40-year cycle where they just simply went through the motions and they went right around in circles. That's describing some of you right now. 
That, that is, that's where you're at in your relationship with God, in the pursuit of your calling, and going after the things that God has for you. You're just kind of simply going through the motions. You're running around in circles. And, and listen, that's not God's will for you. That's not God's best for your life. That's not what God has in store for you. He's called you to a destiny, and not necessarily a promised land, but a land of promises. But if we do not stay focused walking with God, we'll end up in a place that God never intended for us to be. So we want to take instructions during this time and, and, and make sure that we realign ourselves to fulfilling the purpose that God has for us. So in chapter 39 of the book of Genesis, what's happened is Joseph's been thrown in the pit, He's been sold into slavery. He was betrayed by his brothers. And now he's in Potiphar's house. And in verse 1 it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Where was the Lord with Joseph at? In, 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 in the slave house. The Lord was with Joseph all while he was sold as a slave. The Lord was with Joseph in the pit, and now the Lord is with Joseph at Potiphar's house. Isn't that incredible? And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. Verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he had put under his authority. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you take these next few minutes and that you'd speak to our hearts concerning blessed are the meek. Help us to hear from you, give us revelation in our heart, cause your word to come alive, quicken us, awaken us, uh, purify us, help us, Lord, to, to hear your word and respond to you. Let it not fall on, on deaf ears. And God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that understand, Lord, and wills to obey. Lord, there's so much more you have in store for us, but Lord, there's testing that comes before that. So God, I pray. Speak to us today during this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A lot of people uh, misunderstand what the word meekness means. A lot of people associate the word meekness with weakness. When we think of people and, and, we, and we would hear something said about them concerning that they're very meek, we would consider them to be very humble, and that's true. We would consider them to be possibly very quiet or, or, or passive or, or, or shy or whatever that may be. We, but, but we associate uh, meekness wrongly, and we associate it with the word meek or, or, or weak. Now, now, Moses, the Bible says, was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Even though Moses was meek, Moses was not weak. Moses, God used Moses to bring the most powerful nation and its army to its knees. But yet, the Bible says Moses was meek. Moses was meek, but he was not weak. The Bible says of Jesus that Jesus is meek and lowly at heart. Now, Jesus raised the dead. He healed the sick. 
He cast out demons. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And the Bible says that Jesus is meek. Yes, he is meek, but by no means is Jesus weak. So what does the word meekness mean? And how does Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 apply to us? Actually, the word meekness means power under control or power under restraint. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, what he's talking about is how a person uses and handles and relates to authority. And so what this verse is saying and what Jesus is saying to us is that blessed are those who relate properly to authority. Blessed are those who properly handle authority given to them. He said it is those that rightly respond or relate and those that rightly use authority that will inherit the earth. In other words, he's going to put the meek in charge. He's going to put the meek uh, in places of authority at the second coming when there's a new heaven and a new earth. He said because these people know how to properly relate to authority and these people know how to properly use authority. Authority is a big issue and a lot of people struggle with the issue of authority. As a matter of fact, it's very difficult to understand authority when you live in a, a democratic society. Because in a democracy, you get a vote. You, you're able to uh, offer your opinion. And all those things are wonderful. All those things are important. But the problem is, in the kingdom of God, you don't get a vote. In the kingdom of God, there's only one king and the rest of us are servants. We don't, even have an, uh, we don't even have an opinion. So it's hard for us to understand the concept or the subject of authority with the democratic mindset. But authority and how we relate to authority and how we use authority is extremely important. So much so that he said, those that know how to properly handle, use, and relate to authority, I'll put in charge of the earth. Now, that's important for us to understand. And, and how does that apply to us? How do we relate to authority? Most people struggle with authority. We don't let anybody tell us what to do, especially inside the church. If a leader makes a decision that we don't like, well, bless God, I don't agree with it. Instead of submitting to authority, we hit the road. We complain. We whine. We cry. We, we don't like to be... Uh, put into position where we are uh, having to submit ourselves to someone that we disagree with. But in reality, you know, uh, how we relate to authority is only revealed when we disagree with those that are in positions in a, of authority over us. Let me say that again. You know, how we relate to authority is only revealed when we are put in a place where we disagree with the leaders that are in authority over us. Now, you can see this a lot of times in our political system with Donald Trump. Now, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just saying you see just how bad things are when it comes to watching the news. I mean, what happened? this man is the president of the United States. 
And whether you agree with him or disagree with him, whether you like him or dislike him, whether you, you despise him or you love him, you know, we have to learn how to respect the office of the man holding the presidency of the United States. But there's almost zero respect, even with people within the church. Now, the world is going to react this way. Same is true with, with children and parents. The Bible says that we are to honor our mother and our father. It doesn't say honor your mother and father only when they act honorably. It says you're to honor your mother and father, period. Regardless if they're honorable and behave honorable and operate honorable and react and respond and treat you in an honorable way. Now listen, if you want to know how things turn out for people who dishonor their parents, I would encourage you to do a Bible study on that. I would encourage you to read through every scripture where you see a child operate in rebellion toward their parents, whether that parent was right or wrong, whether that parent was uh, behaving honorably or not, and find out the outcome of that child's life. I promise you there's not one positive outcome when you see a child dishonoring, disrespecting, and, and not submitting to the authority of their own parent. That, now, that, that's, that's, this was God's idea. Now, the reason we struggle with it is because, you know, number one, we're very independent people, and, and we like to give our opinion on everything because, you know, you know, we have a right. Number two, what happens is we've seen abuses in, in positions of authority. We've seen people in the church abuse their positions of authority, so that kind of defiles or taints our view of authority. Another thing is, you know, we, because we see that, we refuse to submit to authority because we view any type of submission as a form of weakness. But the truth is this. You cannot be in a position of authority if you don't come up underneath authority. And your level of authority is directly connected to your level of submission to authority. Now, do you get that? You understand what I'm saying? I don't want to just blow through this. I want you to understand something because authority is a major issue in the life of a child of God. Because, listen, until you step into that place of authority, the devil is going to continue to wear you out and just smoke your head until you stand up to him. You know, the devil's like the bully on the playground. It's like the little boy, he, he had a sheet of paper, and he wrote down on that sheet of paper everybody's name that he could whip on the playground. And so a little boy walks up to him. He says, where you got there? He said, I've got the name of everybody I can whip on this playground. And the little boy said, well, hey, there's my name. You can't whip me. And the boy took his eraser and went. I mean, that's the way the devil is. Listen, you're not going to walk in victory until you learn how to operate in your authority. You have to learn how to rightly relate to authority. You have to learn how to come underneath authority, and you have to learn how to stand in the place of authority, and then you have to learn how to use the authority that God is giving you. Without understanding that, you're going to continue to live a very defeated life regardless of how much Scripture you can quote. So I'm just going to try to teach this. Now, Joseph was tested in both how he related to authority and then how he used the authority that was given him. Now, let's look at three examples here really quickly this morning 
at the life of Joseph. Number one, let's look and see Joseph's response to abusive authority. Joseph's response to abusive authority. Now, now what does the word submissive mean? What does it mean to be submissive? You know, the Bible talks about that husbands are to uh, love their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. And we've reached a place in our culture where, 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 where we hate to even use those words. I mean, I've had people say to me, would you change that word submission to something else? And I said, no. I mean, I didn't write the Bible, so I can't change the Bible. But the problem is this, you know, we, we view somebody that is submitted to another person, whether it be a husband or a leader, as somebody that is beneath them, which is completely a wrong perspective when it comes to authority. And again, authority was God's idea, and God is not a child abuser, okay? So, so what does the word submission mean? Now, here's, here's something, a point I want to make. It is possible for somebody to be obedient, but not necessarily submissive, okay? It's, it's possible for you to be obedient to your authority, but not necessarily submitted to your authority. Because submission and obedience are two different things. Obedience is how we relate in our actions toward authority, okay? Submission is how we relate in our attitude toward authority. And when God uh, teaches or, or shares in his word or explains to us how he wants us to relate to authority, what God is saying is, I don't want you as my children to be outward obedient only. I want you to be inwardly willing. In other words, I want you to be obedient and love it. You know, it's like you know, when you ask your child to take the garbage out and they act like it's killing their soul to do it. I mean, that's after you fought for 15 minutes, right? How, how many know that we're not done yet? Why, why, why are we not done? Because we don't want them to take out the garbage. We want them to have a good attitude when they take out the garbage. Right? And so the same thing is true with, with you and I and, and with how God wants us to react and, and change. So when it comes to submitting to God and His authority... He doesn't just look at our visible actions. He looks at our hidden attitude. So let me ask you a question. What kind of attitude do you have when the term or the words submit to authority or the phrase submission to authority comes to mind? What, what, is that a turnoff? For a lot of people, that's a, that's a major turnoff. So God doesn't just want to see our visible actions. He wants to see our hidden attitude. So... In Joseph's life, after Joseph was uh, betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, he is now sold into slavery. And this is where we pick up in uh, Genesis 39. In Genesis 39, Joseph is now in Potiphar's house. Potiphar bought him. In other words, Potiphar owns Joseph. Joseph is Potiphar's personal slave, Okay? Now, this is a dramatic and a drastic difference from the life he just came out of. Because Joseph, as a son, was the son of his father's old age. 
Joseph, as a son, was favored. He, he, he wanted for nothing. Joseph, as a son, could do no wrong. But now, Joseph, as a slave, couldn't do anything right, okay? Joseph, as a son, had everything that he wanted, and, and even more so. The Bible says he was favored of his father. He was his father's favorite. But now, Joseph, as a slave, had no privileges or special things happening for him at all. So he, he's underneath the authority of Potiphar, who is an abusive authority in his life, and now God is using this moment to test Joseph. God is the one, listen, who put Joseph under abusive authority. Now, how do we know that's true? Because Genesis chapter 50, after Joseph has become the prime minister of, of Egypt, he said to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God intended for this to be good. As a result, salvation of many people has come. In other words, he says, you didn't send me here. God sent me here. The question is, could you pass the test of authority if God sent you to Egypt like he did Joseph? Could you handle the situation that Joseph was in if God were to see fit that it was necessary for you to do that and to go through that so that you could be prepared for your destiny? And so... It was a very difficult time for Joseph. But how did Joseph handle it? Well, we see according to Scripture here that so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. I wonder if you can serve Potiphar when you're in his house. Can you serve Potiphar when you're a slave in his house? Are you sure? How would you handle your relationship with Potiphar when you went from being somebody that could do nothing wrong to somebody that couldn't do anything right. When you go from somebody who had everything to somebody who had nothing. When you went from somebody that did anything he wanted to being a person who couldn't do anything except what his master told him. How would you be able to serve Potiphar if you were a slave in his house? But the Bible says Joseph found favor in his sight, served him, then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. See, Joseph was like cream that rises to the, to the top. No matter where you put Joseph, no matter how unfair the situation was, no matter how poorly he was treated, because he understood the principle of authority, he, learned, he knew how to relate to authority, he knew how to respond to authority, he knew how to handle authority... Joseph not only was placed in a position of authority, his authority increased because he handled the situation he was in the right way. Listen, I promise you, if you've never been in that position sooner or later, all of us will be in a position. And listen, again, God doesn't just want us to be outward obedient. He wants us to be inwardly willing. Now listen to this. Our attitude is oftentimes a reflection of our level of maturity. And maturity is coming to the place where we understand that life is unpredictable. And your level of maturity is revealed 
by how you react and you respond to things that are out of your control. Okay? I don't know if you know this or not, but you're really not in control of anything. But we know that God is good. The problem is, when we know that God is good, but then bad things happen to us, even though we know God is good, we struggle to be able to handle that properly, don't we? Now, I don't know why everything happens. I wish things didn't happen that, that actually do happen, but, but, but I don't know. But regardless of what happens, I still know that God is good. But it is important that we realize that when we're put in an unfair situation, God is testing our level of maturity. When you're put in a place where things are not in your control, when you're put in a position to where you're having to deal with something that has happened unexpectedly, our attitude is a good indicator of how far we've come in this journey to maturity. Because listen, I've been pastoring a long time now, and I'll tell you something, pastoring a church is like raising teenagers. Everything is a crisis. I mean, everything is a crisis. But there comes a point to where we have to realize that, you know what, not everything is a crisis. And it's okay when we're young to, to uh, get stressed out and to freak out and, you know, you know, try to handle and process it. But there comes a time in life where we have to realize that things are going to be all right. Mark Twain said this. He said, there has been many things that I have worried and feared that, have ha that would have happened to me or that I thought would happen to me, but none of them ever came to pass. How many things have you honestly worried about in your life? Think about this. How many things have you honestly worried about in your life that have actually happened to you? Now, there might be a couple, but out of the millions of things that you thought and worried about happening to you, the vast majority of them did not. But yet, when something happens unexpectedly or out of our control, oftentimes we freak out and go back into panic mode, just like we did when we were a teenager, right? So God allows us to get put into a place where he tests our maturity, and he sees what our attitude is really and truly like. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and he served him and made him overseer of his whole house. Joseph's attitude toward of Potiphar was this, I'm going to serve him. I don't like it here. This is totally different than what I'm used to. This is not the way I envisioned my life turning out. But I know that God gave me a dream, and God's going to use my life. So I must be here for a reason. There must be a lesson that I need to learn. And while I'm here, I'm going to do my best. And what happened? He served him. He served him. So that was Joseph's response to Abusive authority. Let's go to the next one quickly. The second one is Joseph's response to ungodly authority. Now, even though that Joseph handled the abusive authority in his life through uh, his master Potiphar correctly, and even though God had elevated him to a place of greater authority because he had the right attitude and he handled what he was going through in the right way, he was getting ready to have a second test happen in his life 
to another authority in his life. Now look at verses 8 and 9. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in this house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So, even though he handled abusive authority in his life correctly, Potiphar's wife, who evidently had the hots for Joseph, tried to seduce him. She, she tried to uh, not just seduce him, she actually commanded him to sleep with her. Okay? Now, I, I don't know, you know how it would be for you or for anybody else, but Joseph is in a place where he's been stripped of everything. He doesn't know anybody. There's no doubt in my mind he's probably the loneliest person in Egypt at this time. And then this woman approaches him, propositions him, and then when he still refuses, he commands, or she commands him to sleep with her. And then how does he respond to this ungodly authority? What does he do? He refuses. Because here's the second thing with, with what authority teaches us about our maturity. Uh, how we relate to authority oftentimes is a reflection not just of our attitude, but our character. When you're put in a position where you're underneath authority. Now, Joseph was underneath an ungodly authority. This woman was trying to get him to sin. And so this was a test of Joseph's integrity because she saw something in Joseph she did not have in, him, in herself. She saw integrity, and she wanted to do everything she possibly could to destroy it. I promise you, if it's not happened, it will happen. Your integrity will be tested, and it's important for you to understand how important character really and truly is. How important is character? Now listen, if you're the President of the United States, it, it, you can honestly say, we can say this with, 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 with it being just reasonable, you are probably the most important person on the face of the earth, or the most powerful person, I would say. Would you agree with that? President of the United States, pretty powerful man, right? That position places you in a position of power, right? Talk to me. So, if you're president, you're probably, well, you're obviously in charge of the most powerful army on the face of the earth, the most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. So, if you're struggling with wondering whether it's true or not, that, there you go. So, if you're president, you're probably the most powerful man in the world. But let me ask you a question. When I say the name Bill Clinton, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Huh? Monica, that's right. So what does that tell us? Bill Clinton not only was at one time the most powerful man in the world, he is one of the most popular presidents in our nation's history. So what does that tell us about character? You can be the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and you can be the most popular person in the world. 
And when you don't have character, Monica Lewinsky is the legacy you leave behind. Think about that. Character is important. Now, now, if your legacy is because of a moral failure, your moral failure doesn't just affect you. Imagine how his wife must have felt. Imagine how his children felt. Imagine how his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren that will never meet him, and when they type in Bill Clinton, I can promise you one of the top results will be the scandal of his character. Character is pretty important stuff. And so Potiphar's wife saw something in Joseph she didn't have, and she wanted to destroy it. Now, why did Joseph refuse? How did he respond when she tried to tempt him and, and seduce him? The Bible says he refused. Now, look, go ahead and this next one. But he refused and said to his master's wife, he gave three reasons. He said, number one, the reason I'm refusing is my master trusts me. In other words, even though I'm his slave, I will remain loyal to him in this time. Loyalty is something that is extremely rare in our culture today. Yet Joseph, a slave who was stripped of all privilege, of all right, uh, uh, of all uh, the, the favor that he was given by his father was loyal to Potiphar. He trusts him. And he says, you know what? I refuse to violate his trust. Listen, finding people who are truly trustworthy is a rare thing. As a matter of fact, if you've got one person in your life, you're pretty fortunate. Not everybody can be trusted. But Joseph could be trusted. He said, number two, I refuse because you're his wife. In other words, he valued the woman as a person. He didn't seek pleasure because he placed a high value on women as people. She saw him as property. He saw her as a person. Oftentimes, we will settle for pleasure because we view people as property instead of valuing them as a person. Joseph valued women. He valued Potiphar's wife, even when she was ungodly and immoral. And he said, I can't touch you and be guiltless. Here's the third thing. Third thing is, it's a sin against God. Joseph understood that even though he didn't do anything wrong. If he gave in to this temptation and ended up sinning, that that would be rebellion against God. He understood authority. He said, if I sin morally, it would be rebellion against God. And he said, you know what? Even if I have to suffer for doing the right thing, then so be it. I mean, how many people today are willing to suffer for the right thing? It's a very rare thing. Now, here's the third thing, and we'll wrap it up. Third thing is this. Joseph's response to proper authority. What Joseph learned in his father's house, what he learned in Potiphar's house, and what he learned in the prison house served him well 
later on when he is in the palace. Because his destiny wasn't in the pit. His destiny wasn't in Potiphar's house. His destiny wasn't in the prison house. His destiny was in the palace. And so we learned some valuable lessons during this time. But he had to be willing to go through whatever it took to learn these lessons so that the character and the attitude that God wanted to develop in him would be fully and complete. Now, I'm closing with this and they can come to music. When, back in the day anyways, when, when, when pictures were taken, there were, there were four steps that took place when a picture is taken until you receive the final copy of the picture that you took. Now, those four steps are, number one, the snapshot. Number two, the preparation tray. Number three, the development tray. And number four is the finishing tray. Now, in stage one, what what happens is this. A, A snapshot is taken from a camera, and that snapshot is the final image or the finished product of what the picture will look like after it goes through all the other stages of development. What happens in our life when God gives us a dream or we have a vision, He takes a snapshot of the finished product or gives us a vision of what He wants to do and what it will look like at the end after we go through the same stages that film is developed. Now, the second stage is what's called the development train. Now, the, the stage two, three, and four take place in what's called the dark room, okay? Now, listen to me. I'm, I'm wrapping this up. Stage two, three, and four happen in the dark room. Now, in the second tray or the preparation tray, what happens is the film in which the picture's taken on is placed in a preparation tray inside the dark room in a, a tray that has a certain type of liquid in it. And it's just left there for a a certain amount of time. And what happens is, as that picture or that film is left in this tray, what happens is the, the film that's in this tray, the molecular structure of that film begins to change. Its nature begins to change. The, the image begins to, to change. The character of it begins to, to change. And so the, the photographer puts the film in this preparation tray, leaves it there. Now, after that process of preparation is done, it's placed into what's called the development tray, okay? Or what's called the image transfer tray. Because once that film has been developed or has been prepared, and and, and it's been through uh, the time in the dark room, and the molecular structure has been changed, it's now ready, the finished product is now ready to be transformed into the final product, or the image transfer. That's when the image that was taken from the camera is transferred into the film where it is going to sit there for a little while and be placed in the finishing tray. And in the finishing tray, what happens? It sits there until it is dried, and then it is brought out into the light. Now, Joseph himself had to go through all four of those stages. The first thing that happened in Genesis 37.1 or 
is that God gave Joseph a snapshot of his future. And the Bible says that Joseph dreamed a dream. The first thing that happened was God showed him his destiny through a dream, but he didn't say anything about the process of the other three trays he was going to have to go through in order to see that dream become the destiny. Second thing that happened was Joseph is placed into the preparation tray. Or he's now inside the dark room. Now listen, I don't know if you've ever been in a dark season in your life, but it's extremely difficult when you're in a dark place and you feel all alone and things are happening to you and you're struggling and you don't even know what the next step is. Because God gave Joseph a dream. He didn't even tell him the next step. That's the way God works with us. Oftentimes, he, he shows us what he's wanting to do, what he's going to do, but he doesn't even tell us the very next step. The steps that we take from then on, oftentimes, are completely in the dark. So while Joseph is in the dark room, the dark room began when he was thrown in the pit. And then he remained there until he was sold into slavery. And then he remained there while he was in Potiphar's house. And then he remained there while he was in prison. At 17, God gave him the dream. It wasn't until he was 30 that he became the prime minister of Egypt. So more than a decade in the dark room. I wonder how many of you would be willing to persevere in the dark not knowing what the next step is, wondering where God's at, wondering why God's allowed this to happen to you. I wonder how many of you could handle the dark room and then allow what the dark room needs to do in our life to prepare you for your destiny. That's what Joseph had to do. He's in this dark room. And what's God doing there? Just like the film changes in molecular structure, Joseph is being changed in spiritual structure. What's being shaped, what's being changed, his attitude's being changed. Remember, he had pride issues. Right? He was, he, he was immature, right? What's happening? He, he, his attitude's changing. His character is changing. He, his maturity level is, is increasing. All of this is the result of what God is doing in his life in the pitch black dark. Listen, the dark season is an important season. And we have to not just embrace it, we have to cooperate with it. Even when we don't understand. Because God is changing us. God is changing us. Then he's placed in the development tray. And this is where final image because Joseph dealt with his attitude he dealt with his character he dealt with his unforgiveness his resentment his bitterness his anger his betrayal all these major internal issues Joseph dealt with because of what had happened to him he had dealt with now he's thrust out from the the development tray into the finishing tray and now he stands before all of the people and the very people that did him wrong are coming to talk to him. Now imagine this. 
Imagine if Joseph would have gotten out of prison and had never dealt with his anger or his bitterness or his resentment toward his brothers. I wonder what the outcome would be. I wonder how he would have treated his brothers. And the thing that is incredible to me is that here Joseph is, he's the most powerful man in Egypt, on the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. And not one time do you read in Scripture where he said anything bad about Potiphar or his wife. Isn't that incredible? I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd probably be looking for an opportunity to get Potiphar's wife. I'd be looking for an opportunity to get every one of those people that did me wrong over the past 13 years and give them what they deserve. I know a lot of Christians that are the same way. A lot of Christians are being held back from their destiny because they don't understand how to relate and use the authority that they've been given because they have been traumatized and defiled by the unfair treatment that they had to go through on their way to their destiny. And because they can't be trusted because they don't know how to handle and relate to authority and use authority, they're stuck in the dark room. They're lonely. They're miserable. They're angry. They're not prepared. God desires to bring you out of that darkness into the light so that you can see from his perspective why it was necessary for you to go through the things that you went through. Because the truth is you wouldn't be who you are today had you not went through what you've been through. You take away all of the bad things, all of the hell that you've been through up to this point in your life, you wouldn't be the man or the woman you are today. It's absolutely necessary. God uses it to develop us and to change us. And, and how did Joseph respond? Genesis 50, verse 20. This is how you know that he embraced and accepted and handled the things the right way. He said, but as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people's lives. Here he is. He's come out into the light. And God has elevated him to a place of even greater authority. Why? Because he handled abusive authority correctly. Because he had the right attitude. He handled ungodly authority correctly because he had character. And he was able to properly relate or relate to proper authority because he learned the lessons of authority during this season. Stand with me. Here, here's something I feel like in my heart some of you are. Some of you have been in the dark room so long that you've totally forgot about and given up on your dream and your dream's no longer a dream it's just a distant memory I mean I know I've felt that way before God gave you a snapshot things not turning out the way that you'd hoped that they would turn out but it's easy to get discouraged and overwhelmed but God's not finished yet now the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 and 13, it said, Now if any man build upon this foundation, silver, 
precious stones, gold, wood, hay, or stubble. It says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed, and the fire shall try every man's work for what sort it is. Now, there's two types of materials that are listed in, that, in those verses. Gold, silver, precious stones. Wood, hay, stubble. One, one type of material is found on the surface. The other type of material is mined in the darkness. And when it comes to fulfilling our dream and doing what God's called us to do, only the things that are mined during the dark season of our lives will be able to test the, by fire on the day that we stand before the Lord. The stuff that was shallow, superficial, that really wasn't that important. But being faithful is a big deal. Persevering is a big deal when you feel like giving up. Fighting through things. Persisting. Being consistent. Going and going and going and not giving up. That's a big deal. You're going to need that. The Bible says you have need of endurance that after you have done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. So I want to encourage you, as we enter into 2019, those of you that have given up your dream, given up on your dream, just to understand what God did for Joseph, he can do for you. What God did for Joseph, when Joseph was ready, 24 hours he went from being a prisoner to prime minister of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth and in one day everything turned around for him I mean in one day but it wasn't until Joseph was ready if you need something turned around this morning I want you to understand something God can do it just like that you just need to be ready when it's time amen let's pray father thank you for your word Thank you for the people that are here this morning. I pray, God, if there's somebody that, that's here this morning that's, that's in a dark season. If you're here and you're going through a dark season in your life where you, you, you don't even know what your next step is or you can't even see God in the midst of what you're going through, would you just shoot your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. Maybe you're here and, you know what, say, I once had a dream. I, I, I once believed that that God was going to do something incredible in my life, but honestly, I've given up on that dream. Would you share that with me? Amen. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're in the dark room, if you feel like giving up, if you're struggling just to, to make it through, won't you come spend some time seeking God? We'll have people here to pray with you. And then we're going to dismiss you really quickly and let you go what you do in the darkness that will be able to stand the testing when the fire comes. Amen. Father, thank you again. Bless your people today. And as they come, minister encouragement to them. In Jesus' name. Amen.